talk to you today about what I believe is the most important subject in the world. I'm going to talk to you this morning on the subject of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I do not know of anything in all this world more important, more essential, more significant, more vital than what the Bible says about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've heard folks talk a lot in my lifetime about are there other planets in this vast universe? And no one in this world has enough mind and comprehension to understand even the meaning of the word universe. This great space that God has created. And I've heard folks talk about are there life on other planets? Is there life on Mars? Life on Jupiter? Life on Venus? Is there life on other planets? And I, I, I think I know the answer to that. I don't believe there's human life on any planet but this planet upon which you and I are living. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Of all the worlds which God has made, God has flung them out into this vast universe beyond the comprehension of even the most brilliant scientists. But all the of all the worlds which God has made, our world is keen. Because on this earth, there was raised an old rugged cross upon which the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died for the sins of the world. And that cannot be said about any other planet in all this universe. And I say to you, because earth had a cross, this is the earth, this is the place, the only place where a man has lived uh, since the, the beginning of um, human life. And thank God for the cross. And I want to read to you this morning from Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, and read to the end of this chapter in the book, book of Galatians. And I would just be so pleased in my heart this morning if every one of you would just right now say, Lord, speak to my heart out of the Word of God. Would you look carefully and prayerfully at your Bibles, please? Let him that's taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. 
For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, or a new creation. For as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now will you please look carefully with me in verse 14. Paul is talking about some things that men glory in. The men of the Jews gloried in the ritual of circumcision. And that marked, in a way, their being a Jew as a great religious rite set forth in the Old Testament. Paul says in verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Now what Paul is saying in this verse, that is in the matter of being saved, there is nothing but the cross. Nothing but the cross in the matter of being saved. He said, God forbid that I should glory in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. There is nothing in this world more important for you and I than the cross of Jesus Christ. No one in, this, in the history of mankind has ever been saved without the cross. You say, well, preacher, the Lord only died on the cross about 2,000 years ago. Does that mean no one was ever saved before 2,000 years ago? No, it does not mean that. It merely means that those who were saved before Jesus died on the cross were saved by looking forward to the cross. And those who've been saved since Jesus was crucified and lifted up on a cross have been saved by looking back to the cross. So I say to you this morning, on the authority of the Bible, no one has ever been saved who was not saved because of the cross of Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the cross is mentioned 28 times in the 27 books of the New Testament. And when it's mentioned, there's a whole context of scripture and verses and teaching that surround each use of the word cross in the New Testament. 
Paul said, I'm not going to glory in anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he refused to glory in himself. One day Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul said, I'm not going to point to myself. This great man that God used to write 14 inspired books of the Bible, this great man who went around the rim of the Roman Empire and set revival fires to burn him and establishing churches and spreading the pure truth of God, said, I will never glory in myself because by the grace of God, I am what I am. No preacher nor teacher of biblical matters should ever point to anyone to give glory except in the Lord Jesus Christ himself who died on the cross. He, he is saying, I'm going to lift up the cross. I cannot glory in myself. I only glory in the cross. You know, Paul refused to glory in anything. Now, I want to say something to you. You know, a man's life or a woman's life is divided in two parts. It's divided in the part before you were saved and the part after you were saved. That's the division of life that is marked out in the Bible. You can look at some people before they were saved and say, well, they were great people even before they got saved. And in a sense, in the world, a sense, that's true. You take, for instance, the Apostle Paul could say so many tremendous things about himself. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day according uh, the, to the stock of Israel. said, I'm a Jew. See, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah and the family of David. Paul said, I was circumcised the eighth day. He said, I'm a Jew. Not only that, he said, I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he said, now, when it comes to the law of the Old Testament, he said, I was blameless in his own mind. said, I tried to keep the law. No man's ever kept it except Jesus Christ. Everybody in this room this morning has broken the whole law of God. You say, well, there's some things I've never done. But the Bible says, if a man offend in one point, he's guilty of all. It's like a chain. You break one link and the chain is broken. And every human being, whether you like to admit it or not, has broken the law of God. And Paul, Paul said before he was saved, as far as the law of God is concerned, he said, I considered myself blameless. He said, concerning zeal. He said, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. And touches, touching the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. He was so zealous in his religion. He took part in killing the first deacon, one of the first deacons, a man by the name of Stephen. But now listen, I want you to hold on a minute. Paul talked about all these things. And then he said this, But whatsoever things were gained to me, 
I counted loss for Christ, and yea, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And I want to tell you, Paul is saying, I will not glory in anything except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He refused to glory in anyone, in anyone. Why, he wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, Well, you folks are all divided up. Some of you say, Well, I'm of Peter. I'm of the, this group um, that surrounds the apostle Peter. Some said, I'm of Cephas, a very eloquent preacher, the Bible says. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. And others of you say, I am of Christ. And he said, none of these men are anything. He said, it's God that planteth and God that watereth and God that giveth the increase. What I'm saying to you, here's a man that's saying in the Bible, I will not glory in anything except the cross. You know, when Paul went to, went to Corinth, he went to a heathen city. No one there uh, knew the Lord uh, except two people he met. He spent an 18 months in that city. He wrote to them a letter, and he said something I've thought about ever since I've been saved, been reading the Bible. And many, many times I've said to the Lord, Lord, what do you mean in your word by this statement Paul uh, wrote to the Corinthian believers? He said to them, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I used to ask myself the question, Paul, you're, you're saying uh, at Corinth and the people to whom you preach, I don't know anything or preach anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I've said to myself, isn't there a lot more? But you know there isn't any more. When he said, I dare not know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, he's talking about his person. And the person of Jesus is the content of this whole Bible. Is about one glorious person who came into this world to die upon the cross. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. That's his person. And oh, how much of this Bible is taken up with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's his work. So you have in one statement, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. That's his glorious, divine person, the perfect, spotless Son of God and Savior of the world. And him crucified was the instrument of death on which he bore your sins and mine that we might be saved. Oh, it's no wonder to me. The old apostle Paul said, I dare not glory in anything in this world except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reasons. You know, the cross is the symbol of salvation. I love the, the cross even as a symbol. 
I confess to you, I worship no material thing, no image of any kind. But it just kind of thrills me when I see the little golden cross at the end of a chain around somebody's neck. Or the little cross in somebody's lapel. Or the cross in a church. A symbol. It's a symbol of salvation. You see, the Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. You see, the cross is a symbol of salvation. The cross is the dividing line between those who are saved and those who are lost. Oh, I was demonstrated on that dark day when the omnipotent God took his omnipotent hand and pushed the sun back into oblivion and darkness shrouded this earth upon which there was raised a cross. And for six hours, no ray of light penetrated that awful darkness while Jesus, as the Lamb of God, died for the sins of the world. But when Jesus was on that cross, there were two thieves, two robbers, two malefactors, two sinners taken out of the prison, one crucified on his left and one on his right, and Jesus in the center. My, what I could say about it, my mind is literally flooded with thoughts when I see Jesus on the central cross and a man dying on either side on that day of the crucifixion. It is for one thing a fulfillment of Old Testament Bible prophecy. For in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, the Bible says he would be numbered with the transgressors and would be buried with the rich. And so on the cross, he was numbered with the transgressors. And when they put him in the grave, they put him in the borrowed grave of a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. And 700 years before he died, the Bible prophesied he would die between two thieves. You know, one thief said to him, like a lot of people say, one thief nailed to the cross turned to Jesus and said, If thou be the Son of God. And let me say to you, if there's an if in your, in your opinion about Jesus Christ, you better get rid of it. Because it's an if that'll put you in hell. He said, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Other words, he's saying, I want a Jesus without all this goriness. I want a Jesus without any blood. I want a meek and lowly Jesus who just teaches and preaches and loves and heals and so forth. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Save thyself and us, but not the other man. The other man spoke first of all to his companion in sin. He said, we indeed receive the due reward of our deeds. We are being crucified and we ought to be. We deserve to die. We've broken the law of God. We've committed sin. And on this cross is where we ought to be. We receive the due reward of our deeds. But oh, thank God for what he said. He just turned to Jesus and said, Lord, 
remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord, in his dying hour, took the soul of a thief under his arm. And as he left the cross, he left it with the soul of a man a few minutes out of hell. And thank God the thief only had to say, Lord, remember me. You don't have to be a theologian to be saved. You don't have to understand the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to be saved. But you do have to believe you're a sinner without Christ. And that on the cross, God laid on him all of your iniquity. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's a symbol of salvation. And you can listen to these people all you want to. That say, no, don't talk about that bloody religion. All that suffering and and the burning fires of hell and the judgment of God and all of that. But I want to tell you, if you can stand at the cross and see the only perfect man who ever lived in this world, the Son of God, who never sinned, if you can stand at the cross and see him suffer the wrath of God and not believe in judgment against sin, then you're a fool. Only a fool would see Jesus Christ on the cross and say, God does not hate sin. Oh, the awful hour that we're thinking of this morning when Jesus bore the sin of the world. You know, the cross is the dividing line. It is a symbol of separation. Listen, you've either knelt at the cross as a sinner or you've looked at it like the thief who said, if you're going to save me, do it without the cross. And that's never going to happen. You know one thing I think I thank God for about the cross? It's level ground at Calvary. There are no big people and little people at Calvary. They're just sinners. And people that come as a sinner, like I came with a convicted heart, and oh, I thought... I ought to be in hell. I deserve to go to hell. I've committed enough sin to damn the soul of thousands of people when I was 19 years of age. But oh, when the sweet news came, you can come to the cross and kneel on the level ground of the cross. And you'll be forgiven and cleansed just like any other repenting sinner. You know, the cross is God's symbol of reconciliation. Now, by reconciliation, I mean uh, bringing two together. Reconcile. Reconcile. That's what the Bible said. That he might reconcile both into one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. Ephesians 2.16. Reconcile. And I read again, but God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You see, the cross is the symbol of reconciliation, bringing together, making things right. And the Bible says, be ye reconciled to God. Well, I remember that pathetic uh, story I heard when I was a young man of a father and son who had a bitter falling out. And the son said, I'll never darken the door of this home again. Grown young man, his father said, that'll be soon enough for me. 
and they agreed to be irreconcilable the rest of their lives. But you know, God has a way of, of uh, bringing people uh, to the place where they wish they hadn't said what they said. And that God one day put the dear wife of that man and the mother of that boy on her deathbed. You know, there may be some of you this morning think, well, I don't need God and I don't need the church. I don't need the Lord's people and I don't need mercy. You know, someday you're going you're gonna to need it. One of these days you're going to see the dearest thing on earth to you on a deathbed and you say, oh, I need the help of God. And one day you're going to be there. You're going to be there. Say, preacher, you're trying to scare me. If I could scare you this morning till you'd come running to the cross, I'd scare you with every, every ounce of influence I have. But they, these two fell out and one day mother is dying. The wife is dying. She said to her husband, I can't die happy with my boy out there somewhere and have not seen him for years. I won't. I want my son to be brought back. He said, I told him I'd never bring him back. And she was approaching death, and finally she said, weepingly, can't you just ask him to come, tell him his mother's dying? It is said the father sent word to the son, your mother's dying, she's asking for your presence. And he came, an angry father, stood on one side of the bed. Though that's not a good picture of God. God hates sin, but God loves sinners. And a boy who was rebellious stood on the other side. It is said that dying mother reached both ways. And she got her husband by the hand, and she got her son by the hand, and she pulled them with all the strength she had till she got those hands over her heart and then she died. And when she did, they fell in each other's arms. You know, the deathbed makes a lot of things look so insignificant. And I want to tell you, when I look at Jesus dying upon the cross, I see God reaching out over the crucified body of his son to get a hold of the hand of sinners and bring them to the heart of God. The cross is the symbol of reconciliation. You know, it's, it's God's symbol of humiliation. Now listen to me a minute. Don't let anything, please, anything in the world uh, occupy your mind for the next 30 seconds. If I, if I had time, I'd like to talk to you about the humiliation of the cross. You see, even the scripture says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. They're nothing worse than the death of the cross. They strip people of their garments. And I don't even like to talk about it. Can you imagine our Lord naked, suspended, perfect man, son of God, naked, naked, hanging upon a cross? What humiliation! numbered with thieves and people taunting him and spitting on him. Have you ever been spit on? I mean, one time, 
one time. Have you ever had someone spit on you? They spit upon him. They put a blindfold on him and said, you know so much. Who slapped your face? They reached and put their hands in his beard and pulled it out until from every little pore blood flowed. They took a crown of thorns and with cruel protected hands, Roman soldiers pressed it on his brow and the thorns scraped against his skull and the blood ran. And they said in a moment, got to prove all of them are dead. They came the first thief and took a big Roman axe and chopped both legs until not only bones were broken, but large arteries severed to be sure they're dead before they took them off the cross. Went to the other thief, did the same to him, but see, couldn't do that to Jesus. No way, no way. Bible said not a bone of him should be broken. He's the Lamb of God. He's the perfect fulfillment of Old Testament Passover Lamb. Not a bone of him could be broken, the Scripture said. Why, the whole Roman army couldn't have swung that axe at the legs of Jesus. But the Bible also said from his side that flow a fountain of cleansing. So the Roman soldier said he's already dead. No use to break his leg. But just to be sure and to show my ridicule and my hatred, I'll take my spear. And he took that spear and he flung it. And it tore and ripped the side of Jesus. And blood and water flowed his very hands, crowned with thorns, covered with spittle and naked. Oh, the humiliation of the cross. The Bible speaks of the death of the cross being a, a humiliating death. You know, men, no one's ever died like Jesus died with sin the world on him. I think of a way a wonderful man died. I know him before he was ever married, and his wife bore to him six sons. I think every one of them or in the Lord's work and a number of them on the mission field. I know one young man is a medical doctor and others are on the mission field. I knew Hector McMillan before he ever married a young woman by the name of Ion Reed. And yonder in Africa, in a time of great trouble, they were killing people right and left, and they'd wounded Hector McMillan. And his mother called all the children, six sons, to the bed. And there lay Hector. And there was out there a plane waiting momentarily to take them out to safety. She called them and she said, Boys, I want you to know the kind of man your father is. And your father's dying. And six boys told their dad goodbye. And he died for the cause of Christ. And they never saw him alive again. That's not the kind of death I'm talking about. I'm talking about death without human honor, worldly honor. I'm talking about one lifted up on a tree and spit upon and covered with shame and tortured beyond human description. I've heard men say, and I think it true, if a man could all of a sudden have the, the power of perception and comprehension and ability 
to articulate what his mind saw. He could really describe the cross. People would faint and people would get sick. Listen, friend, Jesus suffered for you. God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The cross is God's symbol of justification, whereby you can be declared righteous in the sight of God. You can't do anymore. You can't add anything to it. Only thing a person need do and can do is just say, I come to the cross as a sinner and believe in him that died and the Lord will save you. I think of the man that came when the Salvation Army people who led thousands of people to the Lord at the, at the curbsides all over the world. Man came. He was on the conviction. He knelt down at the curb and said, what can I do? And the worker wanted to help him and wanted him to see that you, you have to know your sinner in order to be saved. And the worker said, can't do anything. You can't do anything. Oh, he said, but I, I want to do something. I want to do something to be saved. He said, too late. Too late. And the man said, too late. Oh, my God, don't tell me it's too late and I can't do anything. And then the Salvation Army worker said, it's too late because he's already done it. He did it on the cross. And there's nothing more you can do except to accept what he's done for you. Let us pray. Oh, Father, this morning, how to pray that people will come and kneel at the cross and that people today will be saved and people be brought back to their first love for the one who died and arose for them. Oh, Lord Jesus, I wish I had a perfect body for just a little while and a perfect mind and perfect speech so I could describe the cross. But, Lord, you know I'm in a fallen body and I've just done all I can do. Oh, God in heaven, may men today and women see Jesus on the cross dying for their sins. And thank, Lord, thank you, Lord, you paid the debt. We couldn't have paid it. We couldn't have paid it. Ten million years in hell wouldn't pay for one sin. No way we could pay it. But thank God Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. And I pray, Lord, this morning that the Holy Spirit will speak in a great and tremendous way. May people be saved.